Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And this morning's show was about nationalism. If if the Kingdom of God was the government of God, and Jesus, who said he was going to take the government away from the Pharisees and give it to those who would bear fruit, then we have to assume that Jesus did that. We know that he told his little flock that it would be his pleasure to appoint unto them a kingdom. So we have to assume that he did that. Except we don't have to assume that he did that because he actually said, I appoint unto you a kingdom. These are the facts. This is what it says. And all the people who believe in the scripture has to believe that Jesus appointed a kingdom to his little flock, which included his apostles. And it may have included more than the twelve, because we don't know. It doesn't say exactly who the little flock is. We know that he had appointed seventy before, so he may have appointed it also to them. We know that in the upper room, that there were 120 names represented there, which would be families that were represented, because that was the typical way they did it. 5,000 men and their families, so we have 120 men and their families represented in the upper room. And they went out and preached the kingdom. And anyone who got the baptism of Jesus Christ through the apostles on Pentecost was cast out of the national government welfare of the Pharisees and the kingdom of Judea. We also know that Rome had stated in a three-language official document that really upset, triggered the Pharisees, that said, Jesus Christ is king, Jesus Christ is king, Jesus Christ is king. We know Peter was saying that there was another king. And he was doing contrary to the decrees of Caesar but was not arrested at that moment for doing contrary to the decrees of Caesar because he didn't have to do according to the decrees of Caesar because Jesus Christ was king according to Caesar, according to Pilate, who was the procurator of Rome. We've gone over that. and That's, of course, going to be a little bit controversial because it's not really super clear in history But we know he was married to the favorite granddaughter of Tiberius. And rumor has it in other texts, not biblical texts, that that Tiberius was trying to retire from the office of emperor. And evidently he appointed, according to some, Pontius Pilate to take his place. To... Not necessarily become the new emperor, but to be the procurator of Rome. At the time, he was already kind of this proconsul uh, in Judea for Rome. 
as the governor of this province that was sort of a protectorate of Rome and had been to one degree or another ever since Pompey because Pompey was invited. He didn't come himself at first. He sent another general to settle who was the king of Judea. And the guy who invited him, he eventually, when he did come, ruled against that guy who was Aristobulus, and he ruled in favor of Hyrcanus. And they removed the supporters of Herc- uh, of uh, Aristobulus from the temple. And before they would enter the temple, he knew he had read the law, Pompey had read the law, so he had his soldiers baptized so that they could enter the temple and were told not to touch any of the sacred objects, but to, if met resistance, remove by force those who were occupying the temple, supporters of Aristobulus, because Aristobulus was not the rightful king. Now, some will say that the temple was defiled at that point. But, no, I don't think so. Because they didn't kill anybody, and the guys all ran out the back door as soon as they saw the Romans coming in the front door. So, when was the temple defiled? And, of course, it was defiled when Zechariah was murdered in the temple. Because there was a power grab. And before that, the Sanhedrin had resigned. Because there was a power grab. And there was corruption. And... John the Baptist was raised by the Nazarene Essenes out in the desert, but was the rightful heir to the position of his father who was murdered. And there was nobody to take the place, nobody to take the rightful place of the high priest of Judea because the temple was defiled. The Sanhedrin was a false Sanhedrin. The rightful Sanhedrin did not come around until Jesus appointed the 70. Now, this is completely contrary to what you would hear from most of your ministers, but most of your ministers would be telling you it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods now if you say that Jesus is your Lord. Even though Jesus said, not those who say, but those who do it the will of the Father. And we know it's not the will of the Father that we cover our, covet our neighbor's goods. And it's certainly not the will of Jesus Christ that we covet our neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority. Yet all these modern churches out there are doing it. They, yeah, they, they go to the men appointed by FDR and LBJ and Obama and Bill Clinton and Trump and now Biden... They go to those men appointed by them who are the ministers of your daily ministration of your welfare, of your social security, of your, of your programs of social welfare. You go to them and say, please give us stimulus checks and social security checks and Medicare and Medicaid and free education for our kids. Now, the government could ask, well, where are we going to get the money? To provide all these benefits for you. They could ask that, except they know. You know. You know where they get it. They borrow it from the future of your children. So you're cursing your children with debt with every single benefit you ask for from a government that's been bankrupt for almost a hundred years. 
Social Security's been bankrupted. The government's been bankrupt because there's no division of funds. So where is your salvation? There was a preacher who was evidently telling one of our congregants that he's just going to preach salvation. Yeah, but he doesn't. Because all his constituencies are back in the bondage of Egypt and the government seems to be coming to take everything you have. According to Klaus Schwab, you will have nothing and you will be happy. And he's not doing anything about it. Christ told him what he could do about it. Christ told us all what we could do about it. He told us better than Moses. He told us better than Abraham. But you're not doing what he said. You're saying you believe him or believe in him. That he's your Lord, but you're not. Why do you say you love me and not do the things that I say? That's in the gospel. But you don't pay attention to that. You know, in John 3, we talked about it again this morning. They say you have to be born again of the Spirit. And that you have to believe in Jesus. But it, but he also tells you that if you're not doing, if you're doing evil deeds, you're not born again. So people tell me, oh, we're born again. I'm born again. I remember I was born again on April 13th, 19, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I'm still going to be coveting my neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority despite the fact that Jesus said it was not to be that way with his followers. You see, you're not born again. You're just under a strong delusion. And you're not a peculiar people. You're not the nation of Christ. You're not the church established by Christ. Because you've been coveting your neighbor's goods. By asking men who exercise authority... To take away from your neighbor, take away from your neighbor's children, take away from your neighbor's children's future so that you can have free stuff today. Wow. And you think you're a Christian. No way. That's not a Christian. You want to be a Christian, you can become a Christian. You got to repent. You got to think differently. You got to sit down in the tens, hundreds of thousands and become the nation of God on earth. If you look up that word nation, we that's what we were talking about this morning. Nationalism, we gave you the definition of nationalism. We gave you the definition of nations. And we pointed out that, you know, there uh, we didn't go into a great deal, deal of detail, but you can actually find countries with multiple nations within those countries. Now, I gave an example of a group that's in Malaysia that they... They meet regularly and decide all kinds of things about their welfare and their needs. And to take care of their community, their society. And they're excluded by the normal Malaysian government. So where do they meet? To ha- Where do they find neutral ground to meet and discuss the public affairs of their nation within Malaysia? Well, of course, the cemeteries. They meet in the cemeteries. Cemetery land's not taxed. All over the world, cemetery land is not taxed. Can't tax the dead. (laughs) So, 
They're not taxed. Where were the Christians meeting? In the catacombs. In the graveyard. Of the catacombs. Why? Because they didn't have land in a lot of places. Now they did start getting land. In a lot of places. And there's stories about that. We won't go into that. It'll be off too much on sidetracks. But... uh, in Revelations eleven eighteen, it says, and I have no idea what it says there. I just was led to read this to you. And the nations were angry. Thy wrath is come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. That's Revelations 11:18. Now we should do a study entirely. Well, we have one on the mark of the beast, which of course is a common topic of Revelation. And you can certainly go and and check that out. Uh but uh what what is this all about? The destroyers of the earth. He goes on to say the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in the temple the ark of the testament and there were lightnings and voices thundering and an earthquake and a great hail. Wow. Now that's the the end of that particular night. It starts up uh, verse 12 or chapter 12. Uh, verse 1, but uh, it appears, and I won't go into the details, you just have to take my word for it right now, we've talked about it in other places, I mean there's 600 more hours of audios where I've gone over a lot of these different verses, and if you go through, you, you'll sometimes find me saying things that are not 100% accurate in the way I say them in a given program, but if if you continue, you will find me readdressing those same things in another program where I go into more detail. I just can't go into absolute detail of every verse that I share with you and every opinion that I speak about uh, in every single instance. And so, yeah, there will be gaps occasionally in things that I say, but this program is about the nation that we can maybe call the kingdom of God. I mean, we're saying, we're calling the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven, and we've talked about that. that they're the same places. And we have articles up to show you every place they say kingdom of heaven, and every place they say kingdom of God. And, and they're talking, you know, this gospel writer is writing about, that. it's always Matthew who mentions kingdom of heaven. But he's clearly talking about instances that other gospel writers are talking about that they use the phrase kingdom of God. But Matthew will use the word kingdom of heaven. And there's a reason why Matthew has that. And that's because the word that we translate into heaven is actually best translated into world. Yeah, that's right. World. Because according to Roman law at that time, and it's actually you can find it in the law books today, 
that if you own a piece of property, you own it from the sky above to the center of the earth. So if we're talking about a cemetery, who owns above the cemetery to the center of the earth? <laughs> Dead. <laughs> That's why they don't tax it. Now, there's other reasons, but that's the tradition and there's a reason why. And I, I bring it up here so that you can understand that you don't necessarily need to have land where you own it from the sky above to the center of the earth in order to have a neutral ground on which to meet and discuss the public affairs of the kingdom of God. And not just discuss it, but from there go out and implement the national welfare system of the kingdom of God, which is the daily ministration. And there's a way to do that. Now, what we see going on all over the world today, you know, I'm in the year 2021. And uh, we've had lockdowns and we're going to have more lockdowns. And we have people actually arming themselves in some countries. We got reports this the other day because they're expecting a revolution. And they have a unique situation in that country where there are people, even without COVID, are taking over the government and are very violent and uh, may kill lots of people. And so that they feel they had this need to arm themselves to protect themselves. And I can't tell them not to. But I can tell them where their real safety and salvation is, is in the kingdom of God. Because what's coming is so great, so great a destruction. The time, like I said, I told you I was led to read that Revelation eleven eighteen, And uh, those that destroy them which destroy the earth. The time is here. And that's what you see. We've got, we don't have millions and millions of people dead from COVID. And we talked about that this morning. And there's lots of evidence that they're counting COVID deaths way different than they ever counted them before. We have millions and millions of people dead. And we're going to have millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people dead from what is going on. Those destroying the earth. Destroying the economy. We've seen a little bit of that. We're going to see a lot more. We've seen a lot, but it's really little compared to what we're about to see. And they're destroying lives. You know, we, we mentioned the fact that uh, just in one town alone, they had 83 stillbirths in six months. And they normally have like three in the same period of time. But they had 80 some. And they're all vaccinated people. Now, of course, the deniers and the fact checkers will probably deny that, but it appears to be the case. Now, we had reports before of that, not that high a number, but definitely an increase, 50% increase in stillbirths. We've seen an uptick, quite an uptick in spontaneous abortions, including some that it took place just Days after getting the vaccination. It's amazing. A doctor actually went and got the vaccination while they were pregnant. And of course, miscarried almost immediately. You know, 
This is a doctor. They should know better. We have other people, nurses, who were pregnant and wanted an exemption until after the baby was born, and they were denying her the exemption. You know, all kinds of medication you're not supposed to take when you're pregnant. But it's like they they're insane. These are the people destroying the nation. So you need to be the nation of God. Like Revelation nineteen fifteen, I just led to, I don't know what it says. I just led to read it. And out of the mouth goeth sharp sword. And with it, he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. I'll read another one. Revelation 20. Three, and cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Now, is that something coming? Or is that something that's already happened? And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together, to battle the number of whom is at, as the sand of the sea. So, what's this all about? What's this all about? I mean, you can read uh, Revelation 22 too. The midst of the streets of it and on either side of the river was there uh, the tree of life. On either side of the river there was the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Now, if that isn't full of symbolism, I don't know what is. So, what are these fruits? Well, what you need to know is what's the nation of God. Because we're supposed to bless all nations. The nation of God is supposed to bless all nations. And the nation of God is, you know... That is the ones who live by faith, hope, and charity. And seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, right now, most of the people who should be in the kingdom of God are in the kingdoms of the world. They've gone back into the bondage of Egypt. They are not doing what God said to do. They sit in darkness. Most of them don't even know that they're doing contrary to the will of the Father, much less the will of Christ. So how is this possible that they've that, that they've done this? Be, well, it's it's possible because he said there would be a strong delusion, and that many would think they were doing what Christ said, but they were actually workers of iniquity. And what is the iniquity that they are workers of? They've been coveting their neighbor's goods. They've been making agreement with the gods of the world. They have chosen other gods to provide them with salvation, to take care of their needs. 
See, that preacher is saying he's preaching, going to preach salvation. He's not preaching salvation by grace. He's preaching salvation by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare and providing you with social security and welfare and and free education and free this and free that, all at the expense of your neighbor and your neighbor's children. That's not what Christ was saying to do. He's just mouthing the words. He's just saying Jesus is your Lord. He says he believes in the Holy Spirit and the and and Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father and the Father. He says he believes in them, but he doesn't do what they say to do. He doesn't preach what they say to preach. He doesn't tell the people that they're not to be like the governments of the nations. They're to be like the government, the nation of God. That peculiar people that does righteousness because they have been seeking righteousness of God. But he doesn't tell them. He's a false prophet, a false minister, nice guy. But a false minister is doing contrary to what Christ said. Contrary to what the early church did. Telling the people that they don't have to do what Christ said. He doesn't even tell them what Christ said. So it's just shocking. But we can hope and pray that he repents. Turns around. But you're sitting here listening now. Are you turning around? Are you being the peculiar people? You know, this, you know, there, this word we see peculiar in the biblical text. We see in Deuteronomy 26, 18, there's peculiar people. But we also see, like in Exodus 19, 5, uh, and Psalms, uh, Psalms 135, uh, there is this peculiar treasure. Uh, there, the chosen had chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. Now, does God need treasure, gold and silver? Is there a treasure that, you know, I gather me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the province? I got me men, singers, and women singers, and the delights of the Son of Man as musical instruments, and that of all sorts. That's from Ecclesiastes 2.8. So there's a lot of stuff going on, and and who are the peculiar people? I I said you can read about in Deuteronomy 14.2 and Deuteronomy 26.18. Who are these peculiar people and... When we see that word peculiar, people, is it, is it the same word that we see when they talk about peculiar treasure? Uh, it actually is. It is the same word. Uh, although, I mean, the word is five, uh, well, I can, I can tell you what the Hebrew actually is. Um, Segula. And, uh, it's Shemek, uh, Gimel, Lamad, Hey. And, uh, the Gimel is cause and effect. The Lamad has to do with the hand and what you do. But it is translated peculiar treasure, sometimes just peculiar. 
But it's the same word for peculiar when they say peculiar people in Deuteronomy. So who are the peculiar people? Aren't you supposed to be the peculiar people? What makes you so different? Because you say you believe in Jesus Christ? Because Jesus said it's not those who say. So how do you become the nation of God? Well, isn't it seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you willing to do that? Are you doing that? And what does that look like if you even find it? Because Peter talks about a peculiar people. Of course, we even see it in Titus. In Titus 2.14, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify Unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Oh, but we're not saved by works. I'm not talking about being saved by works. Of course we're saved by grace. There's no works that we could do that make it so that God owes us salvation. But you should be zealous for good works instead of every time somebody mentions works, make the excuse, well, we're not saved by works. Nobody said you were. But I'm telling you that you are not born again if you're still worker of iniquity. You don't really love Jesus if you're not keeping his commandments. If you go back to Deuteronomy 26:18, And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people. He hath promised thee and that thou shouldest keep all his commandments. Are you doing that? You're probably not a peculiar people. First Peter two nine, but ye are chosen generation of royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of Him who hath called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. But people still sit in darkness. They still think that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. That That's a dark idea. That's a non-true idea. That is, that is a false idea. <laughs> that is a lie. So, when they say a holy nation, they are talking about, you know, that word nation there is actually the word that we translate into Gentile. And I told people this morning, Gentile actually means another nation. Judea was a nation, a Gentile nation, to the Romans. Because they were another nation. And the Romans were a ethnos, a Gentile nation, to the people of Judea, except for the this is how Jesus took the kingdom away from the Pharisees. They said they had no king but Caesar. <laughs> so once they said that, they were no longer the kingdom of God. They were the kingdom of Caesar. They had abandoned God. And they actually wanted to crucify Jesus. Marvelous, marvelous uh, that they did not see that coming. So anyway, the the idea of the, this ethnos, it, it has to do with the nature or genus of a multitude of people living together. And we talked about that in the definition. You just have to listen to the 
If you join the network, we will release or look for Keys of the Kingdom. That's where you can get podcasts of all of the shows and you can listen to them. And what I am constantly doing is touching on this item, touching on that item, touching on this item. So that, but I'm trying to explain one particular thing, the idea that we are to be a nation. We may be in captivity under the bondage of Australia or the United States or um, Austria or South Africa or uh, Holland or wherever you're at. Switzerland. You may be in bondage to those countries and you'll have to give a portion of your labor to those countries. But you can still be a nation and start cultivating the skills of a free nation. And that, of course is what Christ was saying, to repent and seek the free nation of God, the kingdom of God. And so that's why we talked this morning about what a nation is, so that you can start understanding. And we won't be calling the church a nation, and it really wouldn't be accurate to say the church is a nation. In the most general sense, it should be. And we talked about that this morning. We explained the definition. There's a the church specific in the church in the general sense. The church specific is the ecclesia specific, which is those that Jesus called out and appointed a kingdom to. His little flock, he called them out. Right? They are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. Even as Jesus' kingdom is not of the world. Meaning the constitutional order of Pontius Pilate. It was a separate government. But unlike other governments, especially at that time and especially at this time, they take care of the needy of their society, the welfare of their society through faith, hope, and charity. That's the gospel that you're supposed to be taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and fealty. If you do the force, fear, and fealty, you would be a part of those other nations. That destroy the world because and this is one of the things I shared on Facebook this morning when somebody was talking about you know don't comply and fight against this and I said you know really before you start doing that you need to repent because you went to FDR LBJ Bill Clinton and all these other guys who offered you benefits and benefits and benefits the greatest destroyers of liberty are the givers of gifts gratuities and benefits You went to them, and the government that can give you all the benefits you want can take away everything that you have. And that's why you're in this particular place. Now, if you actually were a part of the kingdom of God, the actual nation and peculiar people of God, the holy nation... That chosen generation of royal priesthood, if you were actually a part of that, then God would not only run out and meet you halfway, he would stand in the gap between you and the powers of the world. And you wouldn't need to, you you know, you still might have some guns, I mean, but Israel defeated Egypt, not by the swords they were carrying, not by the spears they were carrying, the bowmen that were going with them. They had those things. But God defeated them through the wisdom and power of God. 
And that ultimately is how you're going to win this battle. You're not going to win it. If if you won it with your swords, your guns, your AK-47s or whatever you got, if you won it with that, you would be so proud and arrogant. I, nobody could do anything with you. <laughs> so, no, God will win it. And if we go back and read in Peter, uh, which I, I was reading First Peter 2, 9, talks about the peculiar people. He says, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's what you want to be praying for is mercy. And how do you, the best way to pray for mercy is to have mercy on others. He says, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The fleshly lust and that wantonness, that includes coveting your neighbor's goods. Do men who exercise authority abstain from that. Now, all of you probably can't do it because you're not all sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But if you sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and were willing to sacrifice for one another, you might not need to collect their benefits. And ultimately, see, right now, in parts of different countries, including New York. You can't go into the restaurants. You you can barely get into the grocery stores. You can't get on the buses if you're not vaxxed. If you haven't been injected with the, the synthetic mRNA injections, and that this is just the beginning, you're being excluded already. You're going to need a network of people who care about you and care about righteousness and are willing to sacrifice for that and take care of you. And you take care of them. There's no slackers in the kingdom. Everybody works. No exceptions. Borrow a line from a movie. Let you figure out which one. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I tell you, when you start seeking, sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and seeking this government of God that operates by faith, open charity, God will free your soul. He will open your eyes. You will not sit in darkness. And having your conversation honest amongst the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. There is a fascinating set of circumstances which he is talking about. That your conversation amongst the Gentiles So, what is that conversation amongst the Gentiles? What word is that that he used? It's anastrophe. And it does mean conversation. It's it's, it's the manner of life, the conduct, the behavior, the deportment of yourself. It's from a word that means to turn upside down, to overturn, to turn back. And, of course... The apostles and the early Christians were accused of these are the men who turned the world upside down. Well, at that time, the world was top down. 
you know, Caesar was in charge. You belonged to Caesar. You obeyed Caesar. Peter didn't have to because he was in the kingdom that was bottom up. He was, he was not exercising authority over Christians, but tr- Christians were donating to a network of Christians so that they had the funds to go out and help Christians in Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus when there was need. Because they were a body of love for one another. It's only after he made these statements of so that you would be prepared for the visitation. What is that visitation? It's actually has it's the word is also uh, translated uh, bishopric or office of bishop. Remember, you're supposed to visit the widows and orphans and needy of society, and you do this because there are people like you know Paul was literally a bishop because he was a minister of many. Uh, he was a missionary most often, moving around, and he was, you know, born to that job. People just don't understand Paul, but he was born to that job. And all these people who want to say they're Messianic Jews and have, or they have a problem with Paul, where is their daily ministration? Are they taking care of all the social welfare of their community through faith, hope, and charity, or are they still dependent upon the men who exercise authority? You see, you won't understand the next verse, which is verse 13. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. And for the praise of them that do well. So, he was not making war against the governments. Now, there's there always comes a time where the government, because it is the governments of power, they begin to assert their authority. And you may have to stand against that. But Jesus was saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And we have whole books that you can download for free online that show you how you know if you owe Caesar or not. And why you owe Caesar. And what you have done against the will of Christ that put you back in the bondage of Egypt where you owed Caesar. Verse 15, For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for the cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. So we're supposed to be helping out the world. We're we're to honor all men, help all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, servants be subject to your master's, with all fear, and not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. So, you know, it's, it's part of the same thing he says, you know, go this extra mile. But, that's not taking away from the prime directive, which is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because there's there's going to be a period of time 
where there is a transition from one to the other. Like I said, everybody's going to be free one of these days. Everybody's not going to survive freedom. And the way you survive freedom is you seek the salvation of Christ. And to seek the salvation of Christ, you have to seek to do the will of the Father. And people are not doing that. They are doing contrary to the will of the Father. And we need to repent of that and go the other way. So, as I said this morning, the susceptible meaning of, you know, the susceptible obligation and rights that has to do with this nation of God or the nation, anybody's nation. You have duties and obligations in whatever nation you're a part of. And and one of the ways they show that you're a part of that is the number. But it's not the only way. And, And they have this number, you know, you have a social security number in the United States, national insurance number other places, uh, Sessula in other places, uh, uh, the uh, social insurance number in other countries. Uh, they have it everywhere. It's all over. And that makes you a member. And it's evidence that you're back in the bondage of Egypt, but getting rid of it doesn't put you in the nation of God. And it's actually, you're much better off seeking the nation of God first. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself old with very few friends and no place to go and uh, not used to being of service to other people. But anyway, so let's take a look at some of the things. Like I, I gave you the definition of the church. It's a body or community of Christians united under one form of government. And that form of government is actually a true and pure republic under God. Uh, where the individual is free from things public, but he's not free from the obligations and directives of God. You have to be obedient to the and fulfilling the obligations of God, which are really summed up in love thy neighbor as thyself. And, and do so according to the character of God, and the way of God, and the principles and values of God. The righteousness of God. That's another way of saying it. Kind of all-encompassing. And if we if we hear on, on the patient on nations or nationalism, we also see in those definitions of a nation that while there may be more than one nation in the same country, as we talked about earlier in the show, every combination of men who govern themselves independently of all others, will not be considered a nation. They're not all considered a nation. The pirates, as an example, they may govern themselves, they may have their own rules, they may have their own laws, but they don't respect other nations. And that's what we were just reading in Peter when he says voluntarily submit yourself. And there's more to that. If you go look that up, uh, we have the Bible at preparing you. We have more details. But like I say, I can't go into every detail all the time or each show will be 100 hours long. <laughs> so I have to skip over some of these things. So the duties of obligation and the responsibilities of rights, because those are co-relative. You cannot have your rights without accepting your responsibilities. You You, you don't understand your obligations unless you also understand your duties 
And your duties are obligation and your rights are responsibilities. They are co-relative concepts. They include the necessity of and an excess of freedom, uh, an access to freedom of religion. Because religion is what? Religion is how you take care of the needy of society. It's how you fulfill your duties and obligations. In order to do that, you need freedom of religion. The freedom to have the religion of God. And the religion of God is taking care of the needy, the daily administration of your society through faith, hope, and charity. And there's no practical way that I have ever seen the better to do this than to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And your your government will be the called out, the ministers who meet the qualifications of Christ. You have to determine if they do, but there's lots of stuff in the Bible that tells you what you're looking for. And that minister, he is the government of God, the church specific, the called out specific. But he doesn't exercise authority over you. He's maintaining an office of service. And he can only serve if you donate to him, and then you should only donate to him if you think he's being of service. The responsibility that you exercise in fulfilling the duties and obligations of to our fellow man is going to determine whether or not you get your rights back or access to your rights. The reason you've lost access to these rights is because you've been slothful in your responsibility of the fulfillment of your duty. You didn't take care of the widows and orphans. Many of you didn't even take care of your own parents. Were you supporting your parents or were your parents on social security and welfare and and all these other things? You didn't fatten your your father and your mother? You didn't take care of your father and your mother? No, you were more interested in your self-righteousness than fulfilling your duties and obligations. And this is why you find yourself in the dilemma. You haven't been seeking the kingdom of God. You've just been trying to get out of the systems of the world. And you should, in the light of that, stand convicted. But if you do, then you can now try to take care of other people. Maybe your parents are gone. So you'll try to take care of other people's parents. And in that doing, regain your rights. It doesn't mean that somebody won't still come and try to take away your rights. But God will hear you when you cry out. Because you've repented. You're thinking differently. You're thinking like Christ. Who didn't come to be served, but to serve others. So by creating these offices of service, where the best servant of servant of servants gets higher and higher in the kingdom, but not to exercise authority, but to bring in the power of the Holy Spirit. That will stop the advancement of the Egyptian army when it comes against you. Everybody used to ask when I wrote the first book, does this work? And I always thought that was such a strange question. I says, and finally my answer was, 
if you want to get down on the shores of the Red Sea with the sea at your back and all the armies of the Pharaoh coming down on you with everything they've got, this works. Because that's all I'm doing is showing you how to end up in a place where you have to live by faith. You will only live by faith. And you get there, like the Israelites, they started taking care of one another. They stopped taking the benefits of Pharaoh. No more straw. And they evidently had to kind of go cold turkey on that. I'm sure there were some that said, no, we want to be with you, Pharaoh, because we see them do that for the next 20, 30 years. They were keep wanting to go back to that same system of Egypt. Because you can take man out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the man. He has to let that go himself. And one way to let that go is to take back your responsibilities to fulfill your duties and obligations to your fellow man. And certainly to your parents. Certainly to your children. Taking care of them. And everybody has to deal with this on their own. So anyway, I I better get going on this because I'm running out of time. Christ repeatedly talked about the Gentiles, which literally means other nations. He even appointed a kingdom to his little flock. And as we see with Peter, we're supposed to be this peculiar people, a holy nation. And we we are sitting in darkness. We are back in the bondage of Egypt. Now there is a way out. But if you just want to know the way out, but you don't want to know the way of righteousness, if you're not seeking the way of righteousness, I'm not going to tell you the way out. I'm not going to tell you the way in. Seeking righteousness is key. So show me you're seeking righteousness. Now I do tell you, and I have told people, and it's all on the recordings, but you're not going to hear it. You're not going to understand. You're going to think you agree with me, but you won't. <laughs> and it's not going to get you anywhere. And it's not going to open your eyes unless you really repent and start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, this little flock, which is at least the apostles, who were the called out church, that's what church means, the called out. They were established by Christ, by his calling, and appointed a kingdom. And in that kingdom, they had certain duties and directives. And they had to feed his sheep, but not by forcing the contributions of the people, the way FDR and LBJ and a lot of Americans chose to do, and a lot of Austrians chose to do, and a lot of Australians chose to do, which is why Klaus Schwab can now come and take everything they have. And they can cry out, but God's not going to hear them. Because they haven't been attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And you need to start doing that. Because you're all a bunch of Pharisees or Sadducees or maybe some of you are zealots, but you're not Christians following the way. You can you can start following the way anytime you're ready. I would encourage you to start right now. The The apostles could be in the world, but they could not be of the world. And we explain that in other places and lots of other places. Understanding this term world, and we have a link there, is critical. It means the constitutional order and system of government. And in the Free Church Report, we explain how to come out of that system to be a servant of Christ. There is no other way. You have to be that servant of Christ. The congregant, I can't get the congregant out. But like I say, everybody will get out eventually. But everybody's not going to survive getting out because they're not down on the shores of the Red Sea with 
Christ standing between them and the armies of Pharaoh. And the only way to get there is to start doing what Christ commanded us to do. The church and its clergy set up their own daily ministration for the benefit of the people. And everybody who got, like I said, the baptism of Jesus Christ was cast out of the nation of Israel. Now the apostles were working daily in the temple. But the difference was is they had a Corbin of Christ which was provided by the free will offerings of the people. And the Corbin of the Pharisees was provided by forced offerings collected by Mokes and Gabai, which was the equivalent of the IRS and the tax man. And the church itself was a body that deliberated their affairs and interests, publishing resolutions in common Although it did not exercise authority over the people, it did exercise authority over that which the people gave to them freely. And so, there was a law in Rome that when Paul went through the gates, they could not tax the contributions that belonged to the church. They got through the gates because... Anything that was given, and because Christianity was legal. It, was, it wasn't it was legalized by Constantine. It was legalized by Christ. This is the king of the Jews. Now, eventually, they reneged on that. You know, there were, there were emperors who said, leave the Christians alone. Certainly, Tiberius didn't persecute them. Nero did. For the most part, Trajan didn't. But there was persecution. But... This is what you need to seek. So join the network and we'll continue this conversation. And uh, we will show you the way, the truth, and the life. And the true gospel of salvation. But until then, you're just going to have to seek the kingdom of God. Join us on the network. And may peace be on your house. And may God be with you. So join us there. And join a congregation. Join the network at preparingyou.com. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.